The following sermon is brought to you by Cornerstone Baptist Church. For more information on our teaching and preaching ministry, visit us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The title of our sermon this morning is The Heirs of God from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. In particular, our focus this morning... Uh, verses 16 and 17. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. What an awesome blessing, right? What an awesome privilege. And part of the joy of our Christian life is going to be growing up into an acknowledgement and understanding and an apprehension and embrace of that truth uh, in our Christian lives. And frankly, through all eternity, we're going to be glorying in eternity at the blessed inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And of the many stunning of the many remarkable benefits conferred upon the one who has been justified through faith alone in Christ alone, adoption, adoption has rightly been called the highest of those blessings. The highest of those blessings or benefits poured out on us through the gospel. Galatians chapter four, verse four, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Tremendous blessing. Once among the household of the damned, once children of the devil, sons of disobedient, by nature, children of, of wrath, just like the rest, now sons of God. We're described in the, in the word of God, we're described as sons of God, children of God. It's an inestimable privilege, uh, an inestimable status that has been conferred upon us. And verse six there, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his own son into your hearts, into my heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. That inheritance, that status as an heir of God through Jesus Christ is an implication of our sonship. It follows one upon the other. If we are children, if we are sons of God, then brothers and sisters, we inherit in Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is described in the book of Hebrews as a hope that is an anchor to our soul on this side of eternity. Let it be so. John Owen describes the doctrine of adoption as this, judicially exalting us from the guttermost to the uttermost, right? Judicially exalting us into membership in that family where God is our father, Christ, our elder brother, all saints and angels, brethren and fellow children, and the inheritance, a crown, immortal and incorruptible that fades not away. Glorious blessings. It's the subject of our inheritance as sons, that will occupy our attention this morning in Romans chapter 8. We began a detailed study of this text last week in part 1, where we considered the assurance of our sonship from chapter 8, verse 16, where the Bible says the Spirit himself, emphasizing that distinct or unique work of the Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself produces the evidence that the fruits of his presence within the believer, where the spirit is at work, there is conviction of sin. Where the spirit stands contrary, in every point contrary to the lust of the flesh so that you and I do not do the things that we wish, Galatians chapter five. Those led by the spirit are those who put to death the deeds of the body. Those led by the spirit are those engaged actively in a mortification of their sin. The spirit of God produces the fruits of the spirit, those characteristic fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and so on. And in bearing witness with our spirit, with our own spirit, the spirit himself reveals that evidence to our conscience reveals that evidence to our conscience and reveals that evidence to our consciousness uh, so that we see it, we perceive it. The Spirit himself comforts us concerning that evidence. Is that not a comfort to you? 
right? The Spirit himself persuades us of the reliability of that evidence, the veracity of that evidence. The Spirit himself affirms that evidence to our faith. And it's in this way that the Spirit then draws us near to God. Through that means, the Spirit draws us near to God, whereby, in the Spirit, we cry out to God as our Heavenly Father. And it's in this way that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, we're not to think of the Spirit's work in that way as distinct or as apart from those evidences. Uh, That should protect us from thinking too superstitiously or through too mystically, negating the evidence in favor of some mystical experience of the Spirit that happens all over the professing church today. Paul isn't referring here to the Spirit giving new direct propositional revelation. The Spirit works through those evidences. But we're also not to think of the Spirit's distinct work in his witness in only terms of those evidences. His work is distinct. That should protect us from thinking too moralistically or thinking like a a checkbox, you know, kind of Christian. If I just check the right boxes, I'm good. And all of that negating the fruits of the Spirit's work, the fruits of the Spirit's presence in the heart of the believer. But rather, rather, do the Spirit's presence, do the Spirit's witness within the believer, within the true child of God, we will, brothers and sisters, embrace the truths of the gospel. We will glory and revel in the Lord Jesus Christ as precious to us. We will pour contempt on our flesh, pour contempt upon our pride, and we will find increasingly that we are persuaded that we are loved by God as a son. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Praise God for that gift, amen? Praise God for the gift of the spirit of God. It's an awesome blessing of our faith in Jesus Christ. Having considered the assurance of our sonship, a blessed of the heart and the mind of the believer through the, the gracious work of God's spirit, we now turn our attention to the glorious implications of that sonship. There are implications associated with our status as sons. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And listen, verse 17, if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now regarding those implications, uh, the implications of our status as sons or as children of God. Paul has already spoken of that blessing which stands above all others, namely that the relationship that believers enjoy in union with Jesus Christ, whereby we call upon him as our heavenly father. Paul has already spoken about that glorious implication. In verse 15, we've received the spirit of God as the spirit of adoption God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into our own hearts, whereby we have the privilege of calling upon him as our heavenly father. But now in verse 17, Paul expands our understanding of those blessed implications, that blessed privileged status as sons by drawing the necessary inference of verse 16, that if sons that good and necessary inference, then we are heirs. If sons, then heirs. Not only does God pour out the grace of his presence with us as sons by his spirit, but God has determined to lavish upon his people his grace in the form of an unimaginable inheritance. He lavishes us with his presence communion with the living God, and then lavishes this glorious inheritance upon us as sons. The sons of God are heirs of an inheritance that God himself has laid up for them. One of the things that the Lord says in his word, I'm thinking in particular of Ephesians chapter 2, that God has saved us for the purpose that in the ages to come, he might demonstrate upon us the exceeding great riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's speaking of this inheritance. In the ages to come, one of the purposes, brothers and sisters, of our salvation is that in the ages to come, God intends to magnify the glory of his own grace 
by pouring out on his children the exceeding, that's an understatement, the exceeding, like exceed, like exceeding riches of his grace, he's going to pour that out on his people in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now that's, I don't know what that is, but that's awesome. That's awesome. And that's the inheritance that Paul is speaking of here. We have been given this exceedingly great and magnificent inheritance. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has provided for those who love him, right? There's a tremendous inheritance laid up for us. Now, we want to consider that inheritance and the implications of our sonship from verse 17. We want to do that under two headings. The first, a glorious inheritance, a glorious inheritance. Second, a sober condition. We'll talk about a sober condition next week. We're going to spend our time this morning talking about this glorious inheritance. First, consider our glorious inheritance. Verse 17. If, if it is true that we are children, and it is, <laughs> then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The word translated children in verse 17 is simply a more personal description of our relationship to God as our heavenly father. It's just a different word. He's using children and using sons interchangeably. Children, that word for children is just a a bit of a more personal um, description of our relationship to God as our father. Those two words, children and son, being used interchangeably or synonymously. The condition if, verse 17, that conditional if that opens verse 17 is a fulfilled condition. Uh, it might better be rendered as since. Since we are children of God, we are then heirs of God. Children of God are heirs. Those two things are indissoluble. They are uh, not to be divorced. Now, I want you to see now, this promised inheritance then, this inheritance that we've been given has its roots in the Old Testament in the Abrahamic covenant. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. This morning, we're going to be in multiple texts in the Bible because this inheritance is spoken of throughout the scriptures, and I want us to see that this morning. But this promised inheritance has its roots in the Abrahamic covenant. Ultimately, this promised inheritance has its roots in what theologians have called the covenant of redemption. In the counsels of the Godhead, God in eternity has determined to lavish this inheritance upon his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ as he redeems humanity to himself. But we see it in scripture um, with its roots in the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis chapter 15. Now in Genesis chapter 15, in God's covenant dealings with Abraham, God had promised Abraham a son, a son of promise. And it was from his lineage, from the son of promise, from his lineage, that all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Eleazar was... Abraham's household steward. He managed all the affairs of Abraham's household, so to speak. So Abraham said, verse three, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Right now, God had promised Abraham a son. And after, in the 10 years that have followed since that uh, initial promise, no son has been given. But notice that Abraham doesn't merely refer to a promised son in Genesis chapter 15. He's referring rather to a promised heir. An heir to his household. In other words, an heir of the promises of God that have been given to Abraham. Who's going to inherit? One who would inherit the promises of God made to him. Is Eleazar my steward? Is he going to be the one through whom the promises are fulfilled? And God says, no. Look at verse four. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, Eleazar, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. One who comes from your own body will inherit the promises that I've made to you, Abraham. Verse five, Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be as innumerable as the stars will be the sons, the descendants of Abraham. Do you see? Abraham's looking for an heir. 
God is going to give him the stars of heaven, so to speak. We'll look at that more in a moment. And Abraham, verse 6, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him. He credited it to him for righteousness. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised seed, was credited to Abraham as righteousness, and Abraham is a saved man. On the basis of faith, you see, or through faith, on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ's person and work. Then he said to him, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Promised him an inheritance. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? That's a reasonable question, isn't it? He's not doubting God. He wants to know how. He's, this is actually an expression of Abraham's faith. You've told me I'll inherit it. How do I know I'll inherit it? The Lord expresses the certainty of the promise with a covenant then made in blood. He splits the animals, if you remember the account, uh, passes through the animals as a smoking oven and a burning torch. Listen, the, the word of God, the word of God is absolutely sufficient. Amen? If God's word says it, that's enough. That's enough. But God confirms or affirms his inviolable word with an oath. Abraham and his seed will inherit it. And it's not just given to Abraham through his word, but his own word is, stands as a confirmation, as an affirmation of God's own character. God, who cannot lie, has given his word, and now he's confirmed his word with an oath. Now, who is then... Who is the seed of Abraham who will inherit? We've noted its roots in the Abrahamic covenant. Who then are its recipients? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul picks up this text of the Abrahamic covenant and gives us further understanding. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul's concern is to demonstrate that those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are the true sons of Abraham. Not just those physical descendants who were born from Abraham's body, but those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the seed. They are true sons of Abraham. That's, that, that's Paul's whole point in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 4, okay? Verse 5. And if they are sons, they are heirs, okay? If they're sons of Abraham, they inherit the promises made to Abraham. Verse 5. Therefore... He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as, in the same manner as Abraham believed God in faith, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, the righteousness that was necessary for Abraham to be justified, therefore, verse 7, no, you can be assured that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now make the same necessary implication. If they are sons of Abraham, then they are heirs of Abraham. Do you see? Verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Preach the gospel. In saying to Abraham, all of the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed through you, that's the preaching of the gospel and the inclusion of the Gentiles, that through faith in Jesus Christ, all an innumerable host of people, a mass of people, of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be blessed through the faith of Abraham. They are blessed as sons of Abraham, and if sons, then heirs, and they inherit the promises that God made to Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, drop down to verse 16. Now, Abraham, Paul is making his argument, to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed. And Paul explains to us who he's referring to. He's referring to Jesus Christ. Again, this is an example of the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Scripture is not only inspired by God in terms of its concepts, Scripture is inspired by God down to the words that are being used and the tenses and the cases and the voices of those words. We understand that? So when we go to study the Scriptures then, when we go to study the Bible, are the tenses and cases and voices of those words important? 
Absolutely they are. And Paul is making a case here on whether the word is plural or singular. And he's saying, that word can be used singularly and it can be used plurally. Paul is saying this word is intended singularly, and here's the case that is being made, okay? That's seed. He does not say to Abraham seeds as in many. He says to Abraham seed as in one who is Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham is going to inherit the promise and Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, a son of Abraham, so to speak, will inherit the promise. Now, there are times in scripture where that singular word seed is used collectively to refer to a group or many. And we're going to see that word used in that way in just a moment in verse 29. You sneak ahead and you look there and you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 17, okay? And this I say, that the law, the law of Moses, Moses, the Mosaic covenant, which was 430 years later, after this covenant was made with Abraham, that, that law, the law of Moses, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God with Abraham in Jesus Christ, such that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it's telling you that the law of Moses is a covenant of works, so to speak, and that the inheritance is not given through works. You can't attain to the inheritance through works. The inheritance is given by promise. It's given by grace. If the inheritance is by works of the law, if you can earn the inheritance through your own works, then it's no longer of promise. Do you see Paul's point, verse 18? But God, rather, gave it to Abraham by promise. That's why the promise is inherited through faith, okay? Therefore, we do not receive the inheritance by our works. We receive the inheritance as promised through the means of faith. Verse 26, for or because... What is the basis on which we receive this inheritance? Because, verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amazing, isn't it? In the infinite wisdom of God, how he has determined to save his people. We're not all born as children of God. You didn't become a child of God by being born into this world. You are a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're not a son of God because you are a physical, ethnic descendant of Abraham. You are a son of God or a daughter of God or a child of God because you share the faith of Abraham. Because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Are those who live, those ethnic Jews living in Israel today, are they the true sons of God? No. And why is that? Because they do not share the faith of Abraham, who Paul says is the father of us all. Right? They don't share the faith of Abraham. The true sons of Abraham, the true sons of Abraham are elect Jews and elect Gentiles who share the faith of our father Abraham in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who then are those who inherit? True sons. Who are those who inherit the promises? True sons. Do you see? All of this comes together. The sons of Abraham by faith. Verse 27 for as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ or placed into union with Jesus Christ by the Spirit through the means of faith, you have put on Christ. So then, having put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You have all put on Christ. And if you are Christ, verse 29, through faith, then you are Abraham's sons, Abraham's seed, and you are heirs then according to the promise. Do you see the implications of our sonship? If we are sons, if we are Abraham's seed, then we inherit the promises. That's why, and all those promises are ours through faith in Jesus Christ. All of the promises, all of the promises of God in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation are yes and amen. They are confirmed, affirmed, and fulfilled through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we inherit them as sons because through faith, we are the descendants of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Do you see how God has done this? It's amazing. That's why Paul refers to us in Romans chapter 8 as joint heirs with Christ. We don't inherit apart from him. We inherit because of him. We inherit with him. We inherit in him, in union with him, such that everything, think for a moment, everything that the Lord Jesus Christ inherits as the son of God, 
you know, declared the Son of God in power by the resurrection of the dead, everything that the Lord Jesus Christ inherits as a son, we inherit with him, in him. Praise God. Ultimately, in the eternal counsels of the Godhead, that was a promise made by God the Father to God the Son. Listen to this from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Psalm 2. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now, what do we know about this inheritance, this inheritance that we're going to receive? It includes the nations. It includes the earth. (laughs) Romans chapter four, Paul says of Abraham that Abraham knew that he was to inherit the world. Not just a little strip of land on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, that Abraham was to inherit the world. We've considered its roots. We've considered its recipients, those who are sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. What about our assurance? What about the certainty of our inheritance? How do we know with Abraham? How do we know that we will inherit it? How do we know? Abraham himself experienced occasions of doubt. Uh, We as believers, the weakness of our faith being what it is, will experience occasions of doubt. How do I know that I will inherit with Jesus Christ? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. First, this promise in first position... This promise is founded upon the very character of God. And it behooves us to remember that. In Hebrews chapter 6, Paul exhorts us. In Hebrews chapter 5, now chapter 6, in particular verse 12, he exhorts us to a mature in the faith. Uh, Don't be immature. Don't just persist in immaturity. Uh, Learn, grow in your knowledge, grow in your understanding, right? And then not to be lazy. Verse 12, don't be lazy, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience or perseverance inherit the promises. Don't be lazy. Imitate the faith of those who have gone before us, who have pushed through, who have labored and have persevered in the faith to the end. Uh, Inherit uh, uh, or imitate the example of Abraham, for example. A promise has been given to us by God, therefore let us persevere in faith and inherit that promise. Verse 13, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, that promise now that we've looked at from Genesis chapter 12, it's repeated in Genesis chapter 15, repeated again in Genesis chapter 17. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. In other words, he bound himself to his own word by his own character. That's what that means. He bound himself to his word, to be faithful to his word, and he bound himself by his own character, saying, verse 14, surely, certainly, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, according to the word of God, after Abraham had patiently endured, he, Abraham, obtained the promise. That's on the pages of scripture. We can read that. That's an historical account. We see that as Abraham persevered and was faithful, Abraham obtained the promise. Don't be lazy, Paul says. Don't be lazy. Imitate Abraham. (laughs) Imitate the faith of those who through patient endurance obtained the promise. Verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So now from the lesser to the greater. Thus God, verse 17, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath, or by an oath. Why did God give that confirmation to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when he split the animals and they walked through? Was that verse chapter 15? And he walked through the, the smoking oven and the flaming torch. Why did God do that? Why did God do that? To show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? That's me and you. (laughs) If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've turned from your sin to follow him, you're a son of God led by the Spirit, and you're an heir of God. So why did God go through that? Why was that written back in Genesis? It's for you, brother. It's for you, sister, to encourage us. Listen, 
to show the immutability, the unchangeability of his counsel from Genesis at the very beginning until now, that has not changed, and that, that means it will not change. It has not changed, and it will not change. It's for you and for me. The immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it with an oath, that by two unchangeable, immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, those who by faith inherit the promise, we might have strong consolation. That was done for us, for me and for you, to encourage us with strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. I've given everything for Jesus Christ, right? You've given everything for Jesus Christ. All of those things that you might have done, how your life might have turned out, all of that matters not. Those things of which we're now ashamed, we have gladly cast them off. We have given everything, everything. We put all our eggs, so to speak, in that basket. We've given everything for Jesus Christ. How do I know, Lord? How do I know that we'll inherit? What is the strong consolation that we have as Christians? This life is short. It's passing away. We have an eternity to look forward to, an eternity with Christ, an eternity communion with the triune God, an inheritance reserved for us there. We can trust him for that. Why? Because he's given us his word. And he's proven it by giving an oath to immutable things by which God cannot lie. And we have an assurance of that because Abraham has inherited the promises, right? It's recorded in God's word. That gives us hope, doesn't it? This life is short Things here are passing away. This is temporal. Why don't we live more in light of that life? That building whose maker is God, who exists in the heavenlies. Why don't we live more for that instead of living more for now? Do you see? It gives us strong consolation. This hope, verse 19, this promise of God, we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner who has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We hold our future inheritance in hope. We live as those who live in hope, not for the present, but for that future, that glorious future. Um, living for him now, like Abraham, following him wherever he goes, doing what he commands, living for him now in light of that future hope, that future glory, that future inheritance. And that steadfast hope should be a solid, immovable anchor that steadies our thoughts, steadies our minds. When we worry and when we fret and when we fear in this life, that, that hope, that inheritance becomes an anchor for our soul. That this life is short. And as the, these troubles that persist right now, they're passing. And a day is coming, and it's coming soon when all those troubles flee away, when all the pain goes away, all the difficulty goes away, all the despair goes away, all the trouble goes away, right? And we have him. This life is short. Let's live like it. Praise God, right? We are assured of our inheritance based on the word of God. The word of God based upon his own character as God, based upon the completed work of the Son of God, and finally, as witnessed to by the Spirit of God. Turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Our inheritance certain, based upon the inviolable word of a living God. And in Ephesians 1, um, Paul explains that it's based upon the, the guarantee provided by the Spirit. Our inheritance is sure, based upon the Word of God. It's based upon the completed work of the Son of God. And finally, by the witness of the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul explains that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are elect, chosen in Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the world. Not because of anything foreseen in us, but according to the good pleasure of his own will. Verse 5, we've been predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We are therefore accepted in the beloved, and we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 11, in him also, in Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now that, those words, we have obtained an inheritance, that translates one Greek word. And that Greek word is in the aorist, which means it's already true. 
It's something that has already taken place that we now have the effects of in our life. It's ongoing, these ongoing effects. We've already been given it. We have an inheritance laid up for us, okay? Being, that we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Be, being predestined according to a decision that you're gonna make in time to accept him as your savior. No, that's not what it says, right? Predestined according to a, a sacrament or a, a thing or a ritual or a, a little sinner's prayer that you're gonna do at some point in the future that thereby God accepts as and he's gonna accept. No, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, not your own, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of our own will, our own free will decision. No, should be to the praise of his glory. Do you see how those, those foolish, false, religious notions undermine the glory of God? Undermines the glory of God. Those things are not semantic disagreements. They are gospel disagreements. And our salvation is to be to the glory of God. Now, if our inheritance is do anything that we have done to earn it, then we, won't, we don't have one. <laughs> But our inheritance is entirely due his purpose and decreeing it and ordaining it according to his own will, that it might be to the praise of his own glory and not to the praise of our glory. Do you see? Verse 13, in him you also trusted, in Christ you placed your faith, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's, our, that's, that's what we do after. <laughs> after. After is what we, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, God predestines us according to his purpose. He promises according to his will. Man believes in God. Man trusts in Jesus Christ, receiving those promises through the means or the instrumentality of faith. In whom, verse 13, also, having believed then, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. How do I know that I will inherit? Because I've been given of his spirit, who is the guarantee of my inheritance. God seals or guarantees his promise with a pledge, with a down payment. It should remind us of God's grace to Abraham and doing the very same thing, right? Affirming it to him. We obviously don't receive the fullness of God's promise when we first believe. It's inaugurated, as it were, given to us as a down payment. It's pledged. And because of the weakness of our fledgling faith or the weakness of our sinful heart, we often can doubt, just as Abraham did. We can sometimes doubt that the promises belong to me. And while we battle with the flesh, while we're mortifying the deeds of the body, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, our inward corruption, our remaining sin dwelling within us, a full and settled assurance of our inheritance may be difficult to come by, but it comes through the witness of the Spirit, the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As one means of guaranteeing his promises to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, God has given them of their spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 13. The Spirit takes up residence in our lives and your life changes the seal is like the, the seal that you might see on a letter of that day, for example. We're looking at Revelation chapter 5, the seals that are on the scroll, uh, that hot wax that is poured, the imprint of the king's ring, signet on the seal, uh, representing the king's authority, representing the king's sovereignty, his authority to act. God stamps us, as it were, with the Spirit. Do you see? God imprints himself upon us, as it were, by his spirit, with the signet of his spirit, signifying our authenticity as owned by him, as being purchased, as it were, by him. We have the imprint. If you say, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? I believe in Jesus Christ, and you don't live anything like that, your life hasn't changed, you're still in your sin, living how you want to live, living for yourself, your imprint does not match his. You see? When someone's been genuinely saved, God has called them to himself. 
He has caused them to be born again. He has taken out their heart of flesh, or heart of stone. He has replaced it with a heart of flesh. He has indwelt that one with his spirit, and he causes that one to bear fruits of the spirit, causes that one to keep his statutes and judgments and to do them. That one then bears the image of the one who created him anew, right? Bears his image. If you're not imprinted with his signet, the signet of his spirit, you're going to look like the world. The one who has been imprinted by the signet of his spirit sets their minds on the things of the spirit. They live or walk in accord with the spirit. They pursue the things of the spirit. They put to death the deeds of the body. And to that, what the Lord is saying, that is the first installment of our inheritance. That's the first deposit of our inheritance. Now, if that's a deposit of our inheritance, then what in part do we understand that inheritance to be? What has started in this life will be brought to a glorious consummation in the next. So part of our inheritance, brothers and sisters, is going to be a life without sin. That's a part of our inheritance because we'll be completely conformed into the image of Jesus Christ by the Spirit and we'll live in eternity without sin. In large part, it is a moral inheritance in the sense that we will, in this life, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, and in eternity, inherit life without sin everlasting. Praise God. Amen? That's, that's, um, that's worth more than wealth. All right? We tend to think of our inheritance, uh, inheritance in this life in terms of, you know, of wealth, something that's going to be passed down in terms of possessions. That's worth far more than possessions, do you see? So then what does Paul do? knowing that the Spirit's work in our lives will assure us of our inheritance. Paul then prays for the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we may know that that inheritance is our promised possession. Paul's praying for us here. Look at verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That for the purpose of verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's going to give you knowledge of him through his spirit. That, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Or Why does Paul pray? that we may grow in the knowledge of God, grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, grow in our experience of the Spirit's presence and work within us. Why does Paul pray that we would have that experience? So that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. We inherit with him. So as our experience or as our comprehension of the Spirit's work within us, as that grows, And as the eyes of our understanding are enlightened through the Spirit's work, as we grow in our knowledge of Him through His Word, Paul prays that by the Spirit's work, we may know what is the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. In other words, Paul prays there for our assurance. He prays for us to experience the certainty of our inheritance, to enjoy the certainty of that inheritance. And that comes through means, do you see? You look at Paul's prayer beginning in verse 17. That comes through means. It comes through our knowledge of him. It comes from the spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation in our knowledge of him, the spirit enlightening our understanding so that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Romans eight sixteen. It's the spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, do you see? And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So we've considered its roots. We've considered its recipients. We've considered its certainty. Think with me for a moment about its substance then, its substance. We often think of an earthly inheritance in terms of wealth. 
We're going to lay up treasure that we can pass on to the next generation. If I can just leave a little something aside for my sons and daughters, uh, we tend to think of inheritance in terms of wealth. But I think biblically, as Christian moms and dads, uh, we can imagine, can't we, or estimate things that are of far more value to lay up for our children than wealth. Um, a legacy of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Teaching, admonishing our children, uh, growing them up, raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can think of things that are far more valuable, far more precious than mere wealth. So what is most valuable? Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Romans 8, verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Our description as children denotes our relationship to God. God is our father and we are his children. Our description as heirs denotes a right or a privilege associated with that relationship. We are heirs of God. And both the evidence that we are the children of God and the pledge or the guarantee of our full and final inheritance as heirs, the evidence and that pledge is the presence and the operation of the Spirit of God who has taken up residence within us. The Spirit says, the Spirit, as Paul says, is the down payment of our full inheritance. If that's the down payment, if the Spirit of God within us is the down payment, then our inheritance is something gloriously um, perfect (laughs) and sinless and holy and righteous and good, which is far more valuable than wealth. (laughs) That down payment, think with me, that down payment, that pledge, not given, that inheritance, not given at the death of the parent, so to speak, but rather at the death of the child. His death, the child's death to sin and self, That death in union with Jesus Christ through which he is then raised to a new and living hope. The death of the child in union with Jesus Christ through which then he is raised to walk in newness of life. And ultimately his physical death, that physical death which has lost its sting and merely now a doorway to another age. So our inheritance begins at the death of the child in union with Jesus Christ, whereby that now dead one in union with Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, is raised to walk in newness of life. That conformity to Christ's walk, which takes place over our lifetime, a progress called sanctification, ends in glorification, where we, not understanding what we shall be, We know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, right? That's the the fullness, if you will, the full consummation, the full completion of our inheritance, the spirit of God being the down payment. Do you see? 1 Peter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. And that includes you, and that includes me. In eternity, you will be incorruptible. In eternity, you will be undefiled, and that does not fade away. That's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the substance of that inheritance? In Romans chapter four, verse 13, Abraham knew that he was to inherit the world and that through the righteousness of faith. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're considering the substance of our inheritance One, our inheritance is or consists of our glorification. Romans chapter 4, we know that it includes a new creation, 
a new heavens and a new earth, the world. And look at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse, verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out in faith. Can you see how all this traces its roots back to Abraham, right? And the promises made to Abraham. By faith, verse nine, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents, tents are temporary habitations, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, Abraham's seed, for he dwelt there in the land of promise because, verse 10, he waited for the city, not a tent. (laughs) He waited for the city, which has foundations, permanence, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham expected more because God had promised, obviously promised more, right? He waited for the land of promise for what he himself knew would be the ultimate fulfillment of that promise, a city which has foundations. In other words, not a tent, which is temporary, but a city whose builder and maker is God. In other words, he's waiting for the heavenly Jerusalem. He's waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, that which is everlasting in the heavens. Daniel chapter seven, verse 18, the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. What do we inherit? We inherit the kingdom of God. Daniel chapter seven, verse 27, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. The saints inherit the kingdom. Revelation chapter 21, verse seven, he who overcomes, the one who perseveres to the end in faith, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. So what is, our, what is the substance of our inheritance? All things, as glorious as all those things will be in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, we inherit all that. Why? Because Jesus Christ inherits all things. He's, given, he's been given all dominion and we inherit in union with him. And verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse seven, I will be his God and he shall be my son. I would submit to you that those physical blessings, that, that um, material, if you will, or those, that physical inheritance, those riches of God's goodness in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, those things bestowed on the sons of God will all merely be the backdrop for that one, for that one, right? I will be his God and he shall be my son. There is no greater inheritance uh, than communion with the triune God. Uh, And everything else, everything else fades uh, in the background compared to that one. I will be his God, he shall be my son. Listen to Psalm 16, verse five. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. What inheritance is he speaking of? God as his portion forever. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Is that not the ache of your heart, right? God, my portion forever. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations chapter three, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. By using the qualifying phrase in Romans 8, verse 17, Paul saying, joint heirs with Christ, Paul means to say that the children of God come to possess with Christ that inheritance which was bestowed upon him. We come to possess in union with Jesus Christ that inheritance which has been bestowed upon the Son of God. To be an heir of God is to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We inherit all that he inherits and we inherit with him as he inherits. Do you see? And Jesus Christ speaks of his inheritance. He speaks of his inheritance, and he speaks of his inheritance in terms of glory. Listen to John Murray. Dr. Murray says, the glory of their inheritance, 
the glory of their inheritance, the inheritance of the saints, can be none other than the glory which is Christ's in the reward of his exaltation. This is expressly stated in the final clause of the verse that we may also be glorified together with him. At the end of chapter 8, verse 17, that we may also be glorified together with him. Their inheritance, the inheritance of the saints, is none other than the glory which is Christ's in the reward of his exaltation. I think on that, and that should encourage you uh, till your dying day. Listen to John chapter 17 in the Lord's high priestly prayer, verse 5. Jesus prays, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. This is the reward, the Lord's reward for his suffering. Right, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to his prayer in verse 20. Listen. I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the 12, the 11 at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That, speaking of us, praying for us, brothers and sisters, so that they all, all of God's people may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. <laughs> Arist, we have an inheritance. The glory that God the Father has given to the Son, he has given to us that we, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Awesome. Communion with the triune God, that we may be one in him. He in us, us in him. That's our portion and our cup in eternity forever. Can you see the, the magnitude of that inheritance that we've been given? Absolutely awesome. Truly we have a glorious inheritance. Now we'll talk about the, the sober condition associated with that inheritance next week. For now, I just want you to think with me for a moment. There are those here there are those who are out there who have no part in this inheritance, no desire to seek for it, no desire to pursue it. And I want to ask you the question this morning, will you inherit with his son? Will you inherit with his son? Or will your portion be with the devil? Will your portion be with those for whom the lake burns with fire and brimstone. There is an inheritance that is offered to you since the beginning of the world, since Genesis chapter 3. There's an inheritance that has been offered to you, a free gift of God's grace, a free gift of his goodness, a free gift of his compassion, of his mercy, And it's an inheritance that is purchased and secured by the blood of his own son so that he might be just at the same time that he justifies your formerly wretched soul, your formerly sinful soul. It comes through a righteousness that is not your own. You are unrighteous. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ has secured a perfect righteousness for you. It's a righteousness that is alien to you and is freely offered to you. Freely offered. You just need to stop living for yourself and trust him. Trust him for it. Believe in him for it. Take his word for it. Put your faith in Jesus Christ who has procured it for you, who has earned for you in his own obedience perfect forgiveness, perfect satisfaction of the law's demands, and receive it by faith. Take him at his word. For those who have their hope in Jesus Christ, for this inheritance, death is a 
a doorway to another age, uh, to receiving your inheritance. And the difficulties of this life all pale, pale in comparison. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 18 then. Paul's conclusion, I consider then that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What is the substance of our inheritance? A glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. John Newton spoke of the difficulties of this life in comparison with our eternal inheritance. And here's the way that Newton spoke of it. Suppose a man was going to New York. Why he would want to do that is unknown to us. (laughs) Suppose a man was going to New York, it'd be to visit Christ the King, but that'd be the the only only reason. Uh, Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. He's going to have to walk a mile now to possess this this great estate. What a fool we should think him to be if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, (laughs) lamenting the difficulty of walking his mile, lamenting the fact that his carriage is broken, when all he's got to do is walk a mile and there's this tremendous inheritance. Can you see the point that John Newton is making? How, brothers and sisters, should that, the the knowledge of this inheritance that is an anchor to our soul, how should this impact how we live, how we think, who we're trusting, how we envision or understand our difficulties and our problems and those things which lead us to worry and lead us in to be anxious or to lead us to despair, uh, right? (laughs) We have a glorious inheritance, And to use the words of John Newton, it's not going to be me saying this. John Newton is saying it. What a fool you are. (laughs) What a fool I am in this life to be. My carriage is broken. (laughs) Isn't that the testimony of our fallenness (laughs) coming out? We have a wondrous, a wondrous inheritance, and we just need to trust the Lord for it. Live life in light of that great inheritance. So we should be grateful. Amen? We should be grateful. Uh, We should rejoice like with joy superabundant overflowing should rejoice at the the pledge that we already have of that future inheritance um rejoice in what we already have that is an indication that we will inherit and we should live and labor as those who have this living hope as an anchor for our soul soul our salvation that inheritance is nearer than when we first believed amen And this life is short and fleeting. I want to encourage you, uh, if you're here today and you've not given all to Jesus Christ, he is worthy. He is worthy. Put every egg in in that basket. (laughs) Don't withhold anything. Abandon, abandon your life to Jesus Christ and you will have this glorious inheritance to look forward to in heaven and joy immeasurable in this life as you do. Amen. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we don't deserve it. We acknowledge that we are, have been hell-deserving sinners. And yet, in great love, uh, you have determined to set your love upon us, not because we were somehow lovable, but according to the good pleasure of your own will. You who work all things according to the counsel of your will, you've determined to set your love on us, to save us through the person and work of your own Son, Uh, and to provide for us the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to yourself, making us sons of God in your household, and as sons, an inheritance. And we praise you, Lord. We don't fully know um, uh, the content or the substance in its fullness of that inheritance that awaits us, but we know from the testimony of your own word to us that it is uh, glorious. And we look forward to that. Help us now, Lord, to have this hope as an anchor for our soul, uh, living in light of that glorious inheritance, uh, like the one who is walking the final mile to 
possess a great estate (laughs) and help us, Lord, to walk our mile in faith, persevering to the end, um, not turning to the right hand or to the left, and certainly not turning back to perdition. But help us to walk in a way that is faithful to you, that uh, calls upon you in our time of need, that lives by the strength that you supply, that walks according to your spirit, setting our minds on the things of the spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body, obeying you and your word, uh, preaching the gospel in this age wherein you are gathering uh, together your elect. And help us to be faithful to you and help us by your spirit to inherit the promises. Uh, we praise you and thank you that you have qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance with the saints in the light. And uh, that is only by the person and work of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, certainly not anything uh, in and of ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, for that fact and praise you and thank you that you've made provision for this inheritance for us. Uh, Thank you for this precious gift. Um, Thank you, Lord, that uh, this life is um, graciously short in comparison to eternity. And we look forward to praising you then in unfettered by sin, in the full glory um, with which you have um, promised uh, your people that we have in Jesus Christ, that we'll praise you and worship you in glory in eternity. May you be praised forevermore, and all the saints say, amen.